Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. One Nation turning down ex-professional athletes who wanted to go to the level three course, you have to go away and coach amateur rugby. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. In this episode, we speak to Eamon Hogan, Level 3 coach, author, and studying for a PhD around sports coaching. Focusing on coach development, we're going to cut to the root on what's wrong with coaching pathways. Eamon, are you ready for the knife? I am, Dan. I'm very privileged to be here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good. You may not feel that way at the end. What should a coaching pathway look like? It should look very similar in design to a player pathway. So what is a player who, pathway? Sorry, what's a player pathway supposed to look like then? So a player pathway is um, you start off on a grassroots level. You get everybody has a fair chance to be selected for a development program. So here in England, it's a DPP. Um, so when you say when you say DPP, what do you mean by that? What is that? Developing, sorry, because it's English centric. A developing player program, and that's run by that's given a license by the RFU to develop and grow and identify talented young men and women, I think it's women as well, soon to be women, um, to be selected for a, a career as a professional rugby player. Uh, it starts at 14, and with coaching, it should look like there should be a, a, gr- a group of professional people who say, oh, this guy's got something. This coach has got something. Let's put them on a pathway, and let's get them linked with a semi-pro club, a pro club, and let's see if we can get them and actually have a true meritocracy of coaches. So when you say meritocracy, what, what does that mean? What does that look like in a, in a coaching situation? So, so I think that very often we, um, and as my research is, as, as it's panned out, many, many coaches in many sports, especially elite athletes, when they get put into coaching roles, the identifications uh, that they're finding with research is um, these athletes are, um, not good coaches just because they've been professional players. Because as you well know, and as you are embracing the Dunning-Kruger idea, which is the more experienced you become, the less confident you are about your own ability because you realize how big the role is, is that when you're a professional athlete and you go into coaching, you go, well, it's just a continuation of professional athlete. It's a natural progression. And it clearly isn't because as you, the more and more you get into coaching, the less and less you realize how much you actually know about the role so with with professional coaching as it is currently there is a huge depth of knowledge in key areas such as scrummaging line out rocks but there isn't a breadth of knowledge which is about how many age groups how many genders you've coached whether you've coached gay or straight etc etc and those experiences are being lost and they add empathy and and a range of other things which i won't go into here so it seems to me that a player pathway is quite obvious because you can you can see that in the end you're going to uh, the, the top of the tree is playing international rugby, but there's clear there's clear steps. But um, coaching rugby, you could be moving sideways a lot and still enjoying it. 
So how do you measure somebody's coaching ability? Because that is ultimately, if there is a pathway, you're either moving up or across. So let's ignore moving across for the moment. How, how, how can we identify people who can move up? Is it because you've got a great win uh, loss percentage or is it because you have something about you that we need to define? So I would, although you're not going to answer questions, I'll throw, I'll throw one back at you and just it's rhetorical. Um, how do you know a good player? Is he because he's playing in a good team? or because he's winning lots of things, or because he's a hard worker. There are criteria for identifying good players. So therefore, <clears throat> if you go on a coach education course with any union, there are a set number of criteria that would identify a good coach. Which well, What are those criteria then? Well, you're talking – well, I, I think, my own personal opinion, is breadth of knowledge. Um, how, can, how, can you measure, how can you measure someone's breadth of knowledge? Well, if they've only ever on a podcast with me and me asking well, yeah. hundreds of questions. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's let's say you have a player who's retired and they were a they were a prop. I'm going to say prop. So, and they go in to be a forward scrum coach, and so they they get hired as a as a professional athlete. They then get hired to be a coach and to coach the scrummage, but they they should be able to coach the lineup. They should be able to coach the backs. They should be able to coach individual skills. But why? Why? Why should they be able to coach that? I mean, really, well, um, if you if you if you're a business and you employ uh, an accountant, you don't necessarily need them to go and be able to be good at HR and at marketing, though it helps to have that knowledge. Yeah, but you wouldn't hire an accountant who's just come from the shop floor. You, you, you'd actually train them and make them a specialist and help them grow. And you, nobody from the way the way I put it is, you wouldn't hire somebody from the shop floor who's a, a real hard working shop floor man, and you wouldn't put him straight on the board. You, it, yeah. it's a different skill. It's a yeah, different so, skill. Uh, so let, let's say um, you take. Well, the top scrum, top scrummagers, uh, who is say in their in their thirties, they've been coached by lots of different coaches, um, and they've had international experience. They will have worked out how to scrummage more effectively. They wouldn't necessarily need to go and be able to coach the backs, would they, to so, become a good coach? That's a really good point. But here's my answer to that: Where do ex-professional athletes, the majority, end up coaching? They end up coaching further down the ladder. They either get jobs and semi-pro, which are, are clubs that don't have a lot of money, so they have to be a, more of a generalist. They work in independent schools where they're coaching young kids, and they don't have a huge amount of staff. So you have ex-professional athletes who are very, very good at their position, much, much better than I would be and much more experienced than I would be, but they don't have the other skills that go with it, the empathy, the, the care processes, the... You know, the academic paperwork, the academic, academic, I can't even say the word, academic underpinnings that go with being a, a, high, a hugely qualified coach. So you, you walk in and you say, right, I'm going to pay someone a, a large amount of money and I'm going to pay them to learn on the job. I don't think that idea should be restricted to professional athletes. All right, there so we're no... going to go back to that. Uh, my original question then is that yeah. uh, to measure a good coach, they need to have a breadth of knowledge. Okay, yeah. so we understand that uh, that helps them because when they actually go out to the coaching world, they're not going to be in their niche area. They're going to have to coach across a different a different range of areas. Okay, so you've got to have your breadth of knowledge. What else do you need? I mean, breadth of knowledge you're suggesting is not just being able to coach the backs as well as the forwards. It's other things. Oh yeah, yeah. So things like, um, do you have an academic underpinning? Do you understand 
what it means to be a coach. Like, for instance, you have to do a level one or a level two or level three to be legally qualified to coach. But some people um, are allowed to skip level one and go straight to a level two. Now, where do you learn the empathy skills? Well, you learn it, I think, as a level one coach, because a level one coach is a parent, a teacher, who have learned about being understanding the pedagogy behind coaching. I think immersing a person straight into a level two, saying that, well, you're okay, you don't need to, you don't need to learn the little stuff, you only need to learn this stuff. My argument, and I'm only just a short time into my my research project, so forgive me if I'm a little general in my answers, because I can't nail it down yet. Um, but one of my questions would be, are we are we creating a two tier system where it's okay for the the professional end of the game to look after their coaches, but and we say, well, we don't want amateur amateur coaches or amateur players coming up into the professional ranks, but we're not saying the opposite is wrong. We we aren't saying, well, hang on, you're a professional. You shouldn't be working in the amateur game. You shouldn't be working in schools because you don't understand the process. It's a what we're arguing here is is the it should it should be an equal opportunities system. Now, for instance, there's a there's a view now that says that in the women's World Cup there was a push towards having more female coaches as the as the lead coaches in the World Cup teams. I think that's laudable. I really do. But should you be pushing them if they're not qualified? If they haven't had enough experience, I think you're doing them a detriment to their own personal development by just saying you're good enough. You've just re- you've just retired as an ex-professional player. Here's a chance at England A. Here's a chance at Wales A. And you go, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa! I've only just started. You know, learn a bit. And and on my on my research, I've looked at. Um, I remember one nation turning down ex-professional athletes who wanted to go to the level three course, and they said you have to go away and coach amateur rugby. You have to go and do that because you 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 you're assuming there's it, you, is it a difference between coaching or organising? That's the difference. Now, um, previously, uh, when you're just talking about that, you mentioned the level one course. Now, I don't think you're saying this, but you can't just do a level one course and say I've ticked off empathy. The level one course can't uh, can't do that. No, 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 no. no. Sorry, if if that, that's a good point, thank you for raising that. That isn't what I mean. I mean, the people that do the level one course are usually youth coaches, are usually teachers who are trained in the in the development of young minds. And I think a professional athlete who wants to be a professional coach going on a level one, it'll be, it'd be, sim- it'd be very simplistic for them, having worked with some of the best, finest coaches in the world. But what they would be doing is having coffee and saying, do you know what? one of my biggest problems is I've got a group of kids and seven of them don't know how to play rugby. Well, a professional athlete wouldn't have that answer, but he would talk to the teacher and say, well, so how about differentiation in skills and how would you do that? These are the wonderful things about the interaction between coaches that we are losing. The, what I call unmediated opportunities, which are opportunities for all coaches to just be in the same room together and talk through things. We used to have that with coaching conferences. You know, you and I met, well, we didn't know we met, but we met on a coaching course. Um, I met loads of different coaches over the years on different kinds of co- different kind of courses. But the, the best parts were having a coffee at lunchtime, having a beer in the evening, and just discussing rugby generally. And from your interactions, I think it's, it's, gone, it's gone really well, I think. Now, that sounds fantastic. But if we've got a pathway, it, uh, you, you're, you're almost trying to force... Uh, these situations when they shouldn't really be forced 
because the pathway Ooh. says you've uh, you've also got to not only you've got to do the level one level two you've also got to sit down in a room and just have general chats with coaches and by chance they may come across they may chat about things which are things are going to challenge you most coaching positions um the role of the coach in a professional environment the first position um a coach ever gets is with the team that he's previously played for so if you remember someone like Steven Gerrard Steven Gerrard got his first coaching role at Liverpool and it, it that happens a lot in football it also happens a lot in rugby and they get their first coaching role within the club which again is not necessarily a problem but what happens when they go to another club and they say well we were hired I'm gonna I, I'll just I don't know Saracens let's say Saracens a player from Saracens goes straight into the academy and he says I want to be a coach brilliant good lad so he coaches the Saracens way and then he goes off and he works for Leicester. Does that mean he's a bad coach because he can only coach the Saracens way? You know, he, he, sometimes we leave coach education and coach development too much to, well, I know you. Let's bring you in. Let's bring you on board. <clears throat> one of one of the far out theories I've had, and I'm, I, I need to do a lot of research on this, is I think level one and level two should be done by the, uh, the NGBs, the national governing body. So in our case, the RFU. But I think level three should be done by UK coaching. And I think it should look at the art of coaching and nothing else. And to get on that course, you have to have a set of criteria that is applicable to both amateur coaches and professional coaching. So you can't just waltz on it. Um, and one of the, so I digress a little bit. Um, Eddie Jones has just left the England job. Uh, a few months ago, there was a tweet about um, Eddie helps out and talks to the level three coaches on the professionals only course. And I went, is there an amateurs only course? Is, could Eddie Jones appear in the amateur course? How is it the, the, the professionals get access to Eddie Jones when the amateurs don't? It's the same course. It's exactly the same course. And it's not, I don't blame Eddie Jones for this, by the way. It's not Eddie Jones. He's brilliant that he, he actually did turn up for them. And I know he's done a lot of sterling work behind the scenes that we're now, we're now hearing about. But again, we talk about opportunity, opportunities to learn, opportunities to grow. And most amateur coaches would not want to work in professional rugby. But are we actually finding the very best coaches in England or Wales or Scotland or anywhere else in the world if we're restricting it to those who were chosen by an amateur coach at 14 years old? Coaching pathways, therefore, be several different pathways. And uh, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, create something which covers all the bases when in fact we need to um create coaching pathways where we've just recognized that this player this this coach is only going to get to this level yeah and we we need to be we don't need to be clear at the start because they may as they go along find that they are very talented yeah is that what we're saying we need to have different different levels well, i mean i mean what we're doing here is that we're in for, we're encouraging imposter syndrome where somebody's sitting there going, I, I really can't do this. Whereas what we're trying to do is Dunning-Kruger, which is the um, the more experienced I become, the, the less confident I become about my own abilities. So we're talking about, if you create different pathways, then you're creating a two-tier or three-tier game. But again, if that's what you want to do, fine. But then if you create a tier for professionals, they should only stay in the professional game. And that they shouldn't be transferring down to the amateur game, which again is illegal because you have to have equal opportunities for all. Fine. But then so, the opposite should also be true. I should be able to go and have access to 
a session at Harlequins, but I don't. I don't have that access because there's no formalised England pathway that allows someone like me. I mean, I'm too old now, so I'm not really bothered about it. But 20 years ago, I'd have loved that. Have somebody say to me, do you know what? You've got something. Let's mentor you for a year. Let's give you opportunities to travel and let's see things. Whereas at the moment, it's just, you know, if you're lucky, who you know, do you get a chance to? I mean, you know, one of, one of, your, one of your employees in, in brackets, in inverted commas, is Jess. And Jess got a chance to work, uh, to come down to see Simon Middleton and the England team before the World Cup. And I said, well, that's a great opportunity. But is that open to everybody? You know, Jess was very fortunate and she got a, she, she learned a huge amount from Simon. But is, shouldn't that be a more formalised process? Shouldn't somebody say, do you know what? There's four female coaches that I really think could learn something here. So where, where does that come from? Probably the coach development department at the RFU, maybe. OK, and I think that's a good point to uh, stop cutting to the root. And um, so Eamon has coached all around the world, uh, particularly in the US. And uh, his philosophy is to reveal current thinking about rugby union coaching as a career, as we've just done, and to grow opportunities for true meritocracy, which I think certainly come across in our knife talk. Uh, you can contact him on Twitter at the Eamon Hogan, and that's Eamon spelt with two N's, or through Rugby Coach Weekly. Drop me a line through that. Okay, some questions to finish off with. Uh, Eamon, how old are you? 56. If, don't don't say it as if you're apologising. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's weird to be a 56-year-old full-time doctoral student, I, I can tell you. It's very, very it's, it's not that weird. It should be, it should be the way. Uh, what coaching book yeah. is by your bedside? Um, oh, let me think now. I'm, I'm currently reading Blaine McKenna's Coaching Abroad, um, which is about a coach, about eight coaches that left their own country to coach. Right. Um, and I thought, I haven't read it yet. So that's that's the one I'm reading next in between right. all the journals and such. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's because their coaching pathways weren't, uh, weren't so good. Which coach teacher are you loving at the moment? Um, I, I was recently in France coaching and I came across a young man called Shane Mokombe. Shane is a Zimbabwean international rugby player who is going through the French uh, coach education system and he's doing a full-time course at a at Amiens, at a university in Amiens. And uh, I found him to be a, a hugely impressive young man with some wonderful insights into the game. He's coached amateur, plays professionally. He continues to coach amateur rugby even though he is a professional player. I think that's the model. I really, I really like him. I like, I like him a lot. He's a good lad. Good. Uh, which team sport subject would you love to coach at the moment? Um, apart from rugby, as I assume you mean. Um, well, it could could be you could uh, could be rugby. Could be a rugby team. You might want to take on the uh, the Lincoln All Star thirties. <laughs> I'd love to have a shot at coaching Gaelic football. It's an Irish sport, but it's um, um, I played it when I was 14 and uh, I dropped it to play rugby when I was a little bit older. Um, but Gaelic football is an extraordinary sport. Unfortunately, it's it's losing its popularity for reasons which I won't go into here, but it's a great sport. <laughs> okay, okay. Controversial <laughs> in itself. Who's inspired you most? Um, you. And I say that, you know, genuinely you have. You have genuinely helped me. Um Kevin Barring, I think, is my coaching hero. Gary Street and Graeme Smith. I did a podcast series for Rugby Coach Weekly with both of them. 
two extraordinary men. Um, you can't have more than you can't have more than four, so that will that will do. Okay, so I'll, I'll stop there. Right, they good. Um, <laughs> I, I've never put a limit on before, but we could go on. Right, <laughs> what would you tell your twenty-year-old self to do more of? Go with your gut instinct. Um, people are generally who they are when you watch them coach, and what they can't hide. You can't hide a person when they're coaching; their personality comes out. They are who they are, and trust your gut. You know, ninety nine point nine percent of the coaches are decent people, but there is one or two. Ugh, yeah, that's okay. It. I Trust yeah, you. definitely. That's that's very true. Eamon, as always, great. Uh, you speak your mind, and that's brilliant. We always enjoy that. And thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. It's a pr- absolute privilege. Thank you.